Well, good morning to each one. Greetings in the precious name of Jesus. I had to think back to about maybe 24, 25 years ago when Beverly and I were dating. Beverly taught school for one year over on Eastern Shore, over in Delaware. And, uh, of course, I would go to visit her occasionally. But the uh, congregation where she taught was a very small congregation. Just a handful of people went to that church. And their auditorium was every bit as big as, as ours, if not a little bigger. But it often amused me, going there for church on Sunday morning, the men, they could have all sat on the front bench, but they would kind of utilize the whole uh, auditorium. There's one here, one over here, one there. And uh, anyhow, that was always uh, felt different than what I was used to. The church I grew up in often was sitting full of people, and often we put up uh, chairs were put out to catch the overflow. But uh, yeah, it's good to be here this morning. It's good to be back home. We enjoyed our time in Pennsylvania. Justin and Christy had a very beautiful wedding and uh, very nice. So we wish them the Lord's blessing. As Nathan mentioned, today is our fall council meeting service. And also this week, we look forward to Thanksgiving Day. And so the message today will be twofold. I will be sharing a few thoughts on Thanksgiving, along with some thoughts on examining ourselves in light of our coming communion service. I struggled a bit with the title for this message, and uh, at one point I thought I'd just simply call it 2017 Fall Council Meeting Sermon, but I didn't like that. And so this morning I, I decided to title this message, Bless, Examine, and Search. Thanksgiving is a holiday that we Christians can celebrate. First, because Thanksgiving is biblical, and second, Thanksgiving is a very important part of the Christian life. This morning, I don't know where you are in your Christian experience, but I believe that the level of our current Christian experience, vibrant or not so vibrant, is a reflection of our level of thankfulness. If I had a chalkboard up here this morning, I would write thankfulness plus thanksgiving equals a vibrant Christian experience. You can think of thankfulness in our lives as oil in an engine. Oil in an engine must be checked. It must be maintained, and occasionally it needs refreshed. Recently, I took a car to get the oil changed, and when I picked it back up, the uh, mechanic, he got kind of on my case. He said, Dan, I, I drained less than two quarts of oil out of that engine. You see, not only does oil need changed, it needs checked and refreshed. And so it is with thankfulness in our lives. This morning I have three passages of scripture that I will be sharing from. 
The first passage is Psalm 103. We will draw a few Thanksgiving thoughts from this passage, and then we will move on. I don't have a lot of thoughts to share on any of the passages, but uh, just a few thoughts for us in thinking about Thanksgiving and also about examining ourselves. Very familiar passage, Psalm 103, Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heaven, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye, bless ye the Lord, all ye his host, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In verse 1 and 2, we are admonished, Three times to bless the Lord. What does it mean to bless the Lord? To bless is an act of adoration, an act of deep love and respect. This adoration may be expressed by a look or words or by actions. To bless is simply an outward expression of love and respect. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then we have the phrase that follows, And all that is within me, bless his holy name. What is within me that can or should be blessing his holy name? Could it be our hearts, our souls, our thoughts, our minds? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, heart, 
soul, and mind. Bless his holy name. To bless the Lord, this act of adoration to God, be it the expression on our face, the words that we speak, the words that we sing must come from within me. And so the question for us to consider is this. Am I blessing the Lord this morning or am I blessing the Lord and all that is within me is blessing his holy name? You see, there is a difference between the two. One is simply an act that may impress others. The other is for real, which brings glory to God. One is simply coming from the lips. The other is an expression of a heart of adoration towards God. I had to think of the people back in Isaiah's day who drew near with their mouths and honored God with their lips. The things that they were saying about God sounded so good, yet God said they had removed their hearts from me. You know, in our earthly relationships, we know when love is real. We know when love is coming from the heart. You can't fake true love. You can't fake true adoration. And even a dog knows if he is loved. Have you ever thought about that? And so, if us poor lowly humans know when love is real, think about God who knows the hearts and the motives of all men. And so today, God is truly glorified and honored when all that is within us is blessing his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The second passage for this morning is 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. My title was Bless, Examine, and Search. So we considered the word bless. And now we're going to think a little bit about the word search. But as you know, this is a passage that we often read at council meeting, 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. I will read and then share just a few comments. But 1 Corinthians 11, 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before him his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in? 
Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I deliver unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken before you, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthy shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthy eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest I will set in order when I come. Now, as you probably notice, the folks at Corinth were remembering the Lord's Supper. However, they were not remembering the Lord's Supper correctly, as Paul points out. They were remembering the Lord's Supper selfishly and with partiality. In verse 22, Paul says, What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Yes, in theory, the church at Corinth was remembering the Lord's Supper. However, the focus of the Lord's Supper had moved from a heart of blessing the Lord and all that was within them blessing his holy name to a grand feast, which may not have been all bad if everyone could have joined in. But no, they were divided into social groups. And so some folks went home from the Lord's Supper full. Others went home hungry. Paul says that focus must change. The Lord's Supper is about remembering Jesus. The Lord's Supper is about remembering Christ's suffering and death on the cross. Paul says that before you come together, to remember the Lord's Supper, let each man examine himself. Remembering the Lord's Supper is not just a light celebration. It is a serious remembrance. Paul goes on to say in verse 29, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthy, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. This week, many men and women across America 
will celebrate Thanksgiving Day with very unthankful hearts. And I'm afraid, too, that many people in many churches take communion time after time with little thought of what Jesus has truly done for them. And Paul says, let each man examine himself. What's inside? What's within me? Back to Psalm 103. I'd like to read from Hebrews chapter 3, two verses, 12 and 13. Hebrews 3 verse 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in you, any of you, an evil heart of unbelief. You see, none of us are exempt of this evil heart. The Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked. None of us are exempt. And so Paul says, let each man examine himself. The word exhort, if you're still there in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. The word exhort is a gentle word. I wasn't aware of that till I was studying this passage, but I often thought of exhort as maybe more of a you know, maybe a little bit more teeth in it, you know, maybe, you know, just uh, uh, getting it said, you know, and, and uh, getting your point across. But if you look at that word exhort, it has the thought to call near, invite, to beseech. It even has the thought of prayer. That's what we should do for each other. And so now I want to exhort you, brethren, with the words of Psalm 139, our third passage for this morning. Psalm 139, you welcome, you can turn there if you like. I'll be reading the whole passage. But the question is, how do we protect our hearts from unbelief? How do we protect our hearts from unthankfulness? How do we protect our hearts from taking communion unworthy? You know, one of the greatest truths in life, which I believe we all know, but which we all must come to learn, is the fact that there is no escape from God. You know, like a fugitive from justice, we can run, but we cannot ultimately hide from God. Yes, we all know people who appear to be running from God. They appear to be dodging God, but they really aren't. At the end of life, they will stand before God. There is 
no place to hide from God. And what can this understanding do for us this morning? Let's look here at Psalm 139. If you're familiar with this psalm, you know that this psalm falls into four stanzas. The first three deal with the different attributes of this inescapable God as they relate to the individual. And the final stanza sets forth the inescapable response to the inescapable God. And so I will be reading the passage and will be making comments at the end of each stanza. So stanza one includes verse one through six. Psalm 139, verse one, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is no word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast set me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. I cannot escape God's knowledge of me. God knows my actions when I sit down and when I get up, when I go somewhere and when I lie down. He is intimately acquainted with all my ways. He knows my words, it says. In fact, he knows what I'm going to say before I say it. He knows my thoughts afar off. Like a caged bird, he got me surrounded with his hand upon me. There is no escape from his thorough, penetrating knowledge. And David, he just simply exclaims in verse 6, he says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. I can't hardly comprehend it. And so the question is, where can I hide? Where can I hide from this God who knows all things? Well, let's read 7 through 12, the second stanza. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the light, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. I simply cannot escape God's presence. And so the question is, where do I run? He said, heaven, God is there. It's been said that the first Soviet astronauts irreverently joked that they didn't see God from their spaceship. Well, God saw them. He knew they were there. I find it interesting. The psalmist asked the question about escaping God 
in the place of the dead, hell or shul. He said God is there too. And I thought about that, about God being in hell. But you know what I think it may be? I don't know if I know this for sure, but I think the memory of God will go with people to hell. I really do. You can try running east, the psalmist says, wings of the morning or west, remotest parts of the sea. However, you will not dodge God. You can try hiding in the dark, but because God is light, he will find you out. The darkness and the light are both alike. I find it interesting that the thought that darkness doesn't hide us from God leads David to consider that God formed him in his mother's womb, which makes David realize that I cannot escape God's power and his sovereignty. And so let's read now the third stanza, 13 through 18. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and all thy book, and in thy book all my members were written, which is which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. It's been said that man go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the courses of rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. I am fearfully, you are fearfully, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I had um, an article here that I'll just read one paragraph. But it says, consider the miracle of the human body. Every second, more than 1,000, 100,000 chemical reactions take place in your brain. It has 10 billion nerve cells to record what you see and hear. That information comes to your brain through the miracle of the eye which has 100 million receptor cells, rods and cones in your eye. Your retina, which also has four other layers of nerve cells. Altogether, the system makes the equivalent of 10 billion calculations a second before an image even gets to the optic nerve. Once it reaches your brain, the cerebral cortex has more than a dozen separate vision centers in which to process it. 
Your tear duct supplies a bacteria-fighting fluid to protect your eyes from infection. The tears that fight irritants differ from the tears of sadness, which contains 24% more proteins. That's not to mention the miracle of the ear and how it translates sound waves into meaningful speech and sound or of touch, taste, and smell. And the article goes on and on and on. But you know, that was pretty overwhelming, wasn't it? But it just proves the point that we are so fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, I, I would... Just that paragraph there would just take a while to think about and, and comprehend. And I just read it and probably just kind of went over your head. But that's just the fact of our bodies and how wonderful they are. Another quote I have, it says, Every person has in his or her sufficient proof that God exists. To ignore that kind of evidence renders a person without excuse. To say that something is finely balanced and complex as the human body is the result of sheer chance plus time is nothing short of stupidity. And then that verse, verse 18, David says, When I awake, I am still with thee. What is David saying in that verse? Maybe you would like to meditate on that verse sometime. But I believe David may be referring to several facts. That each morning, the thoughts of God's knowledge, God's presence, God's sovereignty and power are still with him so that he can escape the overwhelming fact of God's relation to himself. Or he may be referring to God's presence after death in the resurrection in that case, David would be referring to God's hand on his life from conception through eternity. Whichever of the two David was thinking, both are beautiful thoughts. David's conclusion is simply this. You will see in the remainder of the psalm. Since I cannot escape from God... I must commit myself to his holiness. What is holiness? A part of holiness, as you will see in verse 19 through 22, and it may surprise you, but a part of holiness is a perfect hatred. And so let's read now 19 through 22. Surely that will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and do not I grieve with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Now does the thought of perfect hatred strike you as odd? Does it seem more like a vice than a virtue, perfect hatred. You know, we have a serpy, sentimental notion of love in our day. 
We are wrongly taught by modern Christian theology that Christians should not hate anything. And you know, I remember years ago, a little girl came up to me, and she's not here this morning, but she came up to me and she said, Dad, she said, um, she said, I love Satan. I said, what? Oh, yeah, she said, I, I don't like the things he, did, he does, but uh, she said, I, you know, I, I love him. She's just a little itty-bitty girl. But, you know, this thing that Christians should not hate anything is simply not true. Proverbs eight thirteen says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way and the fervent mouth do I hate. Amos 5.15 says, Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. And you may say, well, that's those verses, they're coming from out of the Old Testament. But here's one from the New Testament. Romans 12.9 says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. It's been said that to love men with benevolence is our duty. But to love any wicked man with complacency would be a crime. To hate a man for his own sake or for any evil done to us would be wrong. But to hate a man because he is the foe of all goodness and the enemy of all righteousness is nothing more nor less than an obligation. The more we love God, the more indignant shall we grow with those who refuse him with their affection. Perfect hatred. Perfect hatred mirrors and reflects the righteousness of God. Perfect hatred grieves, I'm sorry, perfect hatred hates what God hates, and loves what God loves. What grieves and burdens the hearts of God, the heart of God grieves and burdens my heart. What brings tears to the eyes of God brings tears to my eyes. This perfect hate motivates my actions. I will not read about things that grieve God. I will not look at things that grieve God. I will not go to places that grieve God. Holiness is hating what God hates and loving what God loves. Holiness also means living openly before God. Let's read verse 23 and 24 at this time. Last two verses of Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I find it interesting that David no sooner mentions the wicked and his hatred for their wickedness than he quickly realizes his own need for God's cleansing. And I believe there are two elements to a holy life in these verses. And first, the first one I see is that I must constantly expose my inner life to God. Search me, 
try me. David is inviting God to shine his pure light into the inner recesses of his thought life. Our thought life is where all sin originates. And then second, I must constantly yield my whole life to God. Lead me. When God's word exposes where I'm wrong, I must be willing to submit to the Lord and walk in his way. You see, a knowledge of God's will without obedience always leads to deception and pride. I'd like to read from James chapter 1, verse 22 and 25, as we consider these last two verses of God searching and God trying and God leading. James 1, verse 22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And so this morning, in conclusion, as we think of our, um, as we think about Thanksgiving Day and as we think about thankfulness, and also as we think about our um, upcoming communion service, the card that you find in your box this morning asks several questions about your peace with God, peace with your fellow Christians, peace with your fellow men, your desire for communion, and your willing, willingness to support the conference and this morning, or this week, as you consider your card and as you consider thankfulness, I'd like for you to remember the three verses, a verse from each reading. And the first verse is Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then remember that verse in 1 Corinthians 11, 8, 11 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And then thirdly, the two verses there at the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Bless, examine and search. We'll call for a closing song.